Good morning. Glad to be with you and looking forward to looking to Philippians chapter 3. What an amazing book this is that we're getting to study this in this time. Uh, uh, an amazing expression of Paul's gratefulness. And it prompts us to be grateful. And what better time of year than this to think about gratefulness. Uh, this morning I'd like to uh, be, help us, before we look at Philippians chapter 3, think about a theme that comes up in this passage, and that's the theme of winning things. I don't know if anybody here has ever won the lottery or publisher's clearinghouse sweepstakes, any, any, any big winners here? I, I didn't see anybody, that's kind of rare, but how many of you have ever won something? Yeah, most, most of us have. Uh, I, I uh, want to tell you about one of my winnings. Um, my, our family was, attend, was in, uh, taking a vacation at the beach a couple of years ago, uh, and we decided we would do a day trip to the Tillamook County Fair. Uh, and so we did all the, the things that you do at the fair. You look at all the animals and the, the exhibits. And, and uh, we were taking a break midway through the day, uh, eating elephant ears or something. And there on the, on the stage, the outdoor stage, they announced a contest for, with, a, with a prize of winning Tillamook ice cream. Now, I like ice cream, and I really like Tillamook ice cream. So uh, the way they were running this contest, they had a board that listed, I think, 20 flavors that Tillamook offers, things like Tillamook mudslide and salted butterscotch and white chocolate raspberry yum and malted moo shake and mountain huckleberry, flavors like this. And they said, you have to taste and identify the correct name of the ice cream that you're tasting. That, that was the goal of the taste test contest. So they asked for volunteers who would be willing to give a taste and see if they could name the flavor. And a bunch of hands went up and they called up a bunch of kids first because there were lots of kids that were eager to taste the ice cream. Uh, but then they were looking for some adults who would fill out the, the taste testers too. And my family kind of know that I'm kind of a foodie wannabe. I, I really enjoy flavors, and I really like ice cream. So they, they were pushing me to, Dad, you should volunteer. You should volunteer. Well, I decided I would. So I put my hand up, and they called on me, and they brought me up to, on the stage along with a dozen other people, and they blindfolded all of us, on, all the contestants on the platform, and then put a dish, little dish of ice cream and a spoon in our hands, and on a signal, they asked, told us that we could taste the, the ice cream. We did. And uh, somebody's hand went up, and they called on one of the kids, and they said, Tutti Frutti! Well, that wasn't even a flavor on the board. It was a, <laughs> kind of a silly guess. Somebody else raised a hand and said, Vanilla Bean. Well, that was one of the flavors on the board, but this didn't taste like Vanilla Bean to me. But I could recognize the flavors. So I put my hand up and they called on me, cinnamon horchata. That's what it was. <laughs> I won. <laughs> I got the free half gallon of Tillamook ice cream, flavor of your choice. It was a pretty nice prize. Well, this morning we're looking at a prize that's way better even than Tillamook ice cream. In fact, this prize is better than winning the lottery or the publisher's clearinghouse sweepstakes. 
This prize is incredible. And it's Paul today has been talking about the prize in this chapter, chapter 3 of Philippians, but now he's going to turn his attention to how we may win this prize. Let's look at Philippians chapter 3. And I'd like to, the, the verses we're focusing on today are verses 15 through the end of the chapter, but I'd like to back up a little bit and pick up some of the context uh, so that you can see it in context. And we're going to read beginning in verse 12. Paul writes, Not that I have already obtained all this, all the things that he's been talking about, all these great things that he's been imagining that he might receive from God, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Jesus Christ took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting all that was behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And now he turns the page. All of us, then, who are mature, should take such a view of things. And I'm going to point out, to, uh, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. I'll come back to that because I think that's kind of obscure and hard to, to understand. I'll try to make it make more sense in a bit. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us in us a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Awesome. having expressed the goal and aim of his life, which came in verse 12, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. That's Paul's goal, and he's striving for it like a runner, a long-distance runner headed for the tape. Having expressed that aim and goal for his life, the Apostle Paul then turns his attention to talking from talking about himself to addressing others, appealing to them also to pursue the prize. Verses 15 and 16 are transitional verses, I think, that introduce Paul's teaching about the prize, offered as a warm and passionate appeal to people he loves and for whom he is so thankful. 
if you have your scriptures in front of you, you'll see how the, the we language that Paul uses in these verses, the beginning of verse 15. All of us then, verse 16, only let us, verse 17, join together, he says, to brothers and sisters. So he's now using we language before it was about his own life. Now he's talked, turned attention to we, to us. And, uh, so who do you suppose Paul means to include in the us and we of these verses? Well, certainly his main audience is the church at Philippi. Or more specifically, all those who, like him, are aimed at winning the prize of being like Christ. By extension... I think these verses apply not only to the church at Philippi, but also to the church through all the ages. That is, all of us who claim, whose aim to live is Christ. Do you suppose Paul is writing as well to Oregon City Evangelical Church? I think so. Now this verse, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make plain to you, I think he's even writing to those who haven't, are yet, not yet convinced that they even want this prize. And Paul seems to be suggesting that God may have a way of arresting your interest in things that you have not even considered as possible. Isn't that just like God to pursue wayward and wandering ones? Those who yet aren't yet part of the family of God? I think that's what Paul's referring to here. Paul seems pretty confident that God won't leave, leave you to your own uh, lethargic thinking and way of life, he has a way for all of us and he pursues us. Now, there are two words in this passage that I want to give particular attention to. The first word is the word translated in verse 14 as mature. It's the same word in, in the Greek language that Paul used earlier when he said, I have not yet attained perfection. I'm striving toward it. I'm not there yet. And the same word, all of us then who are perfect, better translated, I think, here, mature, should take such a view of things. He's saying there's a goal, there's an aim, there's something to aim at. It's, it's perfection, but it's a perfection that's like maturity. I think Martin Luther uh, understood it best when he said, it's the mark of the perfect man not to reckon himself perfect, the, the nature of a Christian does not lie in what he has become, but what he is becoming. I'm pretty grateful for that. I know I haven't arrived yet. I'm still on this mission of becoming more like Jesus. I'm aiming for the prize that Paul is striving for, and I want that prize too. But it's more about what I'm becoming than what I've already achieved. 
The second word I'd like to pay attention to, that, that word perfect is one. The other is in this verse, only let us live up to what we have already attained. The, the literal translation of these words in the original language is, let us live up to the, to the rule. And what is that rule? What is that standard? What is that aim, that goal? It's something to live up to. And Paul is calling us all to live up to what he's talking about here. He's calling us all to be on this mission, to be in pursuit of this prize. I think that's what it's about. But how? How do we do this? How do we go about pursuing the prize that Paul is laying out there for us to pursue just as he is pursuing it? I believe in the next few verses, Paul outlines two do's and a don't that are critical to winning the prize. The first is, Paul says, follow my example. And also, follow the example of all those who are following my example. This isn't the only place that Paul gives this advice. In the, his letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he wrote, follow my example as I follow Christ. Uh, to the church at Thessalonica, Paul wrote, for you yourselves know that you ought to follow our example. So this is a theme that Paul brings up often in his writings. He also wrote it to Timothy and to Titus, encouraging them to live an example. Don't let others think of you uh, think less of you because you're young, but rather be an example to the believers, Paul says to Timothy. So that idea of being an example to follow is a big deal. It's the first thing that Paul cites as the means by which we might win the prize. Some questions. Whose example do you follow? Who do you admire? Who do you aspire to be like? Who do you consider worth emulating? Or what about yourself? What kind of example are you setting? Are you living a life that others can follow and that will help lead them to Jesus? When I talk to people about who has most influenced them in life, uh, I, I, which I like to do, uh, many people will first talk about their parents. I know that I'm blessed in having been raised by godly parents who set a good example for me. My mom was a praying woman who taught me to pray. My dad was a steady, hard-working provider who was devoted to God and to his church and hardly ever missed a Sunday. I'm grateful for good examples in my parents. How many of you had the benefit of good parental, parental examples to follow? Many of us have that good blessing, that good gift. Thankfully, God often provides for us good examples in others as well. Whether or not we get the benefit of good examples as parents. 30 years ago, my a college friend Brent Burson and I determined that both of us wanted to 
live godly lives, to become men of God, and we decided we would spur one another on in that goal. Uh, so we have, for 30 years now, uh, met every week to pray together. We pray for our families. We've memorized scripture together. We've um, also, over the years, begun to pay attention to people whose lives we admire, and especially to people who finish well. We've noticed over these 30 years, as we've been trying to pay attention particularly to good examples, some don't finish so well. There are some that, that fade in their devotion to Christ, or even go off track, even late in life, which is puzzling and disappointing. And yet, there are so many who we admire, who stay strong and steady and passionate in their love for Christ and people, and they give themselves for Christ and others all the way to the finish. That's the kind of lives I admire and that I want to emulate. Brent and I have made a study of those kinds of people and pay attention to those who live good examples. I encourage you to do that too. Who are some people around you who you can follow? People whose life in Christ is something you strive for. Following others as they follow Christ is really important as a key to, to being disciples of Christ. And the first thing that Paul points to as the way to win the prize. But we're going to go to the second thing, which is in verses 18 and 19. Uh, okay, let me get the right verses. That's 16. How about 18 and 19? There it is. Verses 18 and 19. For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, you hear Paul's passion, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. It's almost poetic in how he lays out these staccato expressions of the people he is pointing to as bad examples. Who were the people Paul was thinking of when he wrote this? Well, Bible scholars have theorized who he might have had in mind. Was he thinking of Judaizers? Uh, those who tried to impose religious obligations like circumcision on new believers? Or maybe he was thinking of Gnostics, those who drew hard lines between the physical and the spiritual aspects of our lives, suggesting that the, only the spiritual things mattered and the physical things uh, such as food and sex don't really matter. Or maybe he's referring to hypocrites like the ones Paul called out in the church at Corinth, a church that looked the other way when one of their members was unrepentant in his sin. Or maybe Paul was concerned about syncretism, that is, the attempt to combine religions that are actually diametrically opposed to each other. Philippi was, after all, a leading Roman outpost populated by people who, who might be tempted to merely use Christianity as yet another add-on to all the gods that they followed. 
Now, it seems to me that any of these are possibilities. It may be he was thinking of several of them. And I suppose that many of these temptations still survive today. Do we sometimes get caught in religion that turns Christianity into merely a list of legalisms and requirements? Are we tempted to offer cheap grace that suggests our sinful behavior doesn't really matter? On the other hand, are we sometimes so afraid of being thought of as judgmental that we fail to call out our brothers and sisters to a better way of life instead of over, and instead just overlook their destructive behaviors? Or do we suppose Christianity can be one option among many paths to God? We may be tempted to turn it into a consumer religion, making Christianity an add-on that we hope will soothe guilty consciences without really changing lives. Paul warns against these kinds of things, as he says, with tears. He summarizes with that last phrase, their mind is set on earthly things. So if Paul's first advice is to follow his example, his second word to us about winning the prize is that we must not be earthbound in our orientation. Instead, our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from here, from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Paul reminds the church at Philippi, this Roman outpost, that uh, their citizenship, their primary citizenship is not Rome. Their primary citizenship is heaven. Where's yours? Um, some of us here are residents of Oregon City. Many of us are Oregonians. Most of us are grateful citizens of the United States of America. But there's another citizenship that trumps all of those. We are citizens of heaven. That's good news. As such, we have a glorious prize awaiting us when we will get to see Jesus face to face and he will transform these frail and failing bodies into something new. Christians are a people who are called, whoops, there it is. Christians are a people who are called to live not in the past, but in the future. <laughs> As citizens of heaven, our eyes are fixed on the future goal and the grand prize. We look back only to follow the, the examples of those who have gone before us. We look ahead to watch and model after those who are leading the way heavenward now. Our eyes are not on this world and this life, 
with all its pleasures, pitfalls, and distractions, our eyes are on Jesus, who is preparing the heavenly prize and who has made the way for us to win it. You might know the old chorus, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Last Thursday morning, I got a phone call from my sister Shirley. She's here today. Hi, Shirley. Thanks for coming. She's a year older than me. She and her son Matt live in Salem with my dad, who she has looked after since my mom went to heaven five years ago. Shirley doesn't call me very often, uh, but we were planning an early Thanksgiving combined with birthday parties, my dad's birthday and my younger sister, she's here too, Nancy. Uh, they both have birthdays uh, right, right next to each other, and we were planning a get-together on Saturday, so I figured Shirley was calling me about plans for, for our party. Uh, so I said, hi, sis, how are you? Um, but when she hesitated before answering... I had a number of possibilities flash through my mind. Did, did dad fall? Did he have another diabetic episode maybe? Uh, is there news from a doctor? Has he been hospitalized? And then with a catch in her voice, she said, not too well. Dad is gone. It, it was a call that I knew would come uh, he would have been 89 on Friday. So the day before his birthday, and I was taken aback. I'm not quite ready for that news. A momentary wave of grief and loss came over me, and I remember feeling disappointed. I'd been looking forward to seeing him on Saturday, and now I wouldn't get to see him. Evidently, he died in his sleep, she said. The sheriff is here now after having been in annual conference, for me, I, I'd been in annual conference meetings all week long, and this was Thursday morning. I had set aside Thursday as the day to write my sermon. And now this news. But I knew what I needed to do. My sister shouldn't be alone at a time like that, so I said, would you like me to come? And she said, yeah, I'd really appreciate that. So I began making arrangements to make a trip to Salem. I texted Claudia first, my wife Claudia first, and, and uh, let her know what was going on. And then I uh, communicated to the pastoral staff next. But I knew Sue was in the building. Pastor Sue, her office is just downstairs from mine. So I stopped in her office to tell her in person uh, what was going on. And she prayed for me. That, I appreciated that. As she prayed, she, she said, Thank you, Lord, that Dave's dad got got to go to heaven in his sleep, and thank you for the joy he now has to be reunited in heaven with his wife, the love of his life. And as she was praying those things, I realized what a gift and a blessing his homegoing really was. Don't we all kind of wish that when our time to, to, to die comes, we might just die in our sleep, it's really a sweet way to go. And that he got to spend 
his 89th birthday in heaven with Jesus, that's pretty wonderful. Uh, it occurred to me that both of my parents got to go in a way that most of us wish to, quietly at home. Not everybody gets that blessing, but it, it was a lovely gift. A peaceful transition from this temporary world of sickness and death into the permanent one that they really belong to. My parents were and are citizens of heaven. And now they've both made the trip and won the prize. All we who are disciples of Jesus Christ are following the, the example. And the example of Paul, the example of others who have gone before us, the examples of, of others who lead the way for us now, our focus and our aim is not this life. We are not earthbound travelers, but rather, we are citizens of heaven. Christians are a people who are called to live not in the past, but in the future. This is a prize worth winning. The prize is the fulfillment of Jesus' promise that one day our lowly bodies will be transformed to be like his glorious body. Can you say hallelujah to that? Hallelujah. Let's stand and pray together. Jesus, we thank you for the glorious hope that you have given us, for this grand prize that is open, available to all who will pursue you. Thank you, Jesus, that you pursue us and invite us into this amazing gift and blessing of a citizenship not of this earth but of heaven. Thank you for the glorious home that you're preparing for us, for the new bodies that you promised to us, for the anticipation of being reunited with those who have gone before us, and for the joy and wonder and beauty of seeing you face to face, of feeling your embrace, of knowing the joy of your presence. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. May the love of God go with you and abide in you. May he lift you to heavenly heights in your pursuit of him. And may he use you as a grateful people. Amen. Hope to see you Thursday night.